Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. Youth, our kids, and look at this. Isn't this wonderful? Praise the Lord. Amen. And all of the adults can go have donuts. No, you have to stay here and endure me for just a few moments. Amen. We're delighted that uh, we can be a part of all of the things that are happening next week. I do want to, to remind you that at 3 o'clock next week, we do have our, our business meeting. Really, it's, 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 a, it's a great time to celebrate the great victories God's given to us as a church. Can you say amen? Amen. And uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. There is a sign-up out here in the foyer and down in the fellowship hall for uh, this class. Uh, You know, it's a great book written by Billy Graham's daughter, uh, Annie Graham Lotz, and I think that you won't want to miss this great stuff, and uh, it it fits with where we're going, so ladies, sign up, become a part of it. It's all part of our initiative of bringing our church into a greater and growing dimension of spiritual growth and, and, uh, and fellowship. Amen? Uh, for the last several weeks, we've been in a study, of, I've titled it Spiritual Formation, and that came out of a, a desire some time back uh, as I was reading in the Word and looking at the Word. There's a passage out of the book of Acts that just leapt off the page, and as I began to look at that, I began to realize these are formations, these are foundational structures for the church that Jesus came to give us. And when I began to look at that, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And as I began to unpack that, look at each one of those, the apostles' doctrines, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, each one of those broke down into some very unique and very practical uh, means of, of growth and development in our lives. The Apostles' Doctrine, for example, is really more than just a list and a litany of things that we should do, as much as it is the heartbeat of God from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible that you hold in your hands is is something that wasn't just put together by one individual over a course of a few weeks. 1,600 years, think about that, 1,600 years from the beginning of the writing of it to the end of the writing of it, uh, over, over those 1,600 years, at least 40 different men uh, were inspired by God to write God's autobiography. And really, that's what the book is. And it speaks about his heart in desiring relationships with us. Through, through the whole book, that's what it's about, is God desiring relationship with you and me. And out of that relationship that we have with him, it helps pave the way for better relationships between you and I. And it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And so we, we really recommend you get into that and, and, and get into the Bible. We're doing this reading program. It's amazing how many people are, are involved with that. And uh, I'm just so thrilled and thankful for your, uh, you and your involvement with that. This morning, though, we want to pick up on what we started last week, and that's the term fellowship. 
That word comes from, fellowship is, is written literally out of the Greek word koinonias. And it literally means deep relationships. Deep relationships. That's what God wants to have with us, is a deep relationship. We talked about that last week in, in many ways. Now, this morning, I want to look at something that I've termed it. And again, it's dealing with relationships. And, and hopefully you'll, you'll capture it as we, as we work our way through this message. But I've titled today's message, Following Christ in a Selfie-Centered World. I, I read an article that said that today, 93 million selfies will be taken. 93 million. They, in fact, uh, it, it is said that one out of every three photographs that are taken today is a selfie. Now, I have never done this much, but I'm going to take a selfie this morning. Oh, my. Delete. <laughs> You know, it's so different. This is something new. When, when most of us grew up, we never turned the camera on ourselves. You all understand what I'm saying? We just didn't do that. In fact, the worst day of the year when you were a kid was the day they took class pictures. You remember? Now, I have a daughter, and I have a wife, and I have a granddaughter, and I can tell you that it takes 93 pictures to get one good one. <laughs> All right? But back in the day, you came, hopefully you remembered that it was class, it was picture day. So you dressed nice, you came with a comb, and so you got the part and the wings and everything. <laughs> and you sat there in front of this canvas backdrop. And, and the guy that was taking the picture, hopefully, hopefully, he gave you time. On the count of three, one, two, and usually you were kind of, and he took the picture. Now think about it. The pressure. A whole year could be summed up in that picture. It was immense. And if you couldn't afford the packet, you remember the packets? You had to wait to the end of the year for the yearbook to come out to see how horrible your seventh grade year was determined by one picture. But I'm not bitter. Now, today, 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 you can actually put a filter on that camera. Back in the day, when you were in the seventh grade and you had zits on your nose, the question was to pop or not pop. Today, today, you can edit it. You can. You can take that thing right off your nose. As a matter of fact, you can put a new nose on that face. 
You can create the you you want others to see. Did you hear that? You can, you can create the you you want others to see. It's called filtered lives. And there's a danger in that. The more filtered our lives are, the less authentic our life is. The more filters we put on our life, the less authentic we are in life. My plea this morning is that we will discover authentic, authentic living. In our journey to find deep relationships with others, we have to confront this, this issue of authenticity. Being real, being raw, being... I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being crude. I'm talking about being genuine. You all understand what I'm saying in that? Without it, there's no real basis for any type of true relationship. True relationship has to come out of authenticity as we live toward and with one another. I love technology and, and social media, and, and yet, as I love it, it also has changed our society. A few, about a year or so, a couple years ago, I was in in Kenya, East Africa, and in Ethiopia. And I was in a place, I, I, I specifically remember being in Lalabella, Ethiopia, which is a, an incredibly rugged area in Ethiopia. And I remember being in this hotel that was thatched roofs, and I, they called them rondavels in South Africa. I don't know what they call them in Ethiopia, but, but, but it had internet. Really kind of interesting. Here I'm in this very out-of-the-way place, and every morning I would get up, I would awaken, I would get on the internet, and I could FaceTime my wife here in Florence, Oregon. And every morning I could see her, and it was an evening, it was evening here, it was early morning there. And at the end of the day, when I got ready to go to bed, I could FaceTime her again, and now she was just getting up, and I'm going to bed. Amazing technology. It's wonderful. It's, it really is an amazing thing. If you, if you have grandkids that live a long ways away, you can, if they will pick up the phone, you can actually FaceTime them. Novel idea. But it's, it's an amazing thing. With Twitter, 140 characters or less, you can mentor or be mentored by somebody you care about. But with all of the good... There are many unintended negative consequences with it as well. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship. One of the unintended consequences is that people fear and avoid unfiltered communication. The fear and avoidance of unfiltered communication. Let me explain that to you this morning. The reason for it is that we are becoming accustomed to showing our best self. Thus the filters. Thus the editing. In fact, even the way we talk has been affected. Very few actually talk on the phone anymore. 
<laughs> it's just amazing. My grandson asked me one day, he says, Papa, what does your phone do? I said, it goes ring, ring. <laughs> he said, oh, Papa, you're old. I already knew that. I didn't need you to tell me that, you little brat. He says, we text. I said, I know. I understand that. But I like to hear your voice. Hello? I can't hear a text. I, 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 I'm amazed. I watched my granddaughter. She can sit there, and I'm not kidding. She's got thumb action like I've never seen. When she gets to be 35, she's going to need implants in her thumbs, thumbs because they're going to be worn out. She can type faster with her thumbs than I can with all 10 digits. It's amazing. It's amazing. How many of you have ever written a text? How many of you have read the text and gone back and re-edited it? You know why? You want to present your best self. What have you done? You've put a filter on life. Back in the day, when the phone rang, you only had one choice. Hello? There was no editing. The conversation wasn't filtered. It was raw. It was natural. You didn't have the opportunity to, to create what you wanted to be said. You, wanted, you couldn't control the direction of the conversation. But today, your phone rings, and you look down... And it tells you who's on the other end. And you immediately have this understanding. You have the choice of answering it or letting it go to what? And then what do you do? You listen to the voicemail and you determine whether you want to answer or not. And when you want to answer or not. And what you want to say when you answer or not, because you want to be in control. Amen, all by myself. You know it's true. You know it's true. It is called living a filtered life. 18 to 25-year-olds don't like talking on the phone. They would rather text. It's not a criticism. It's just that's the way they've been raised. And quite candidly, this isn't a generational dynamic. This has impacted and changed the culture of our whole country. It's not just a youth thing. It's, it's who we are. It, it's amazing. I, I've had family together, and we, we, we have a basket at Christmas and Thanksgiving when the family comes, and the phones go in the basket. Because I, I get tired of looking up, and all of a sudden, everybody's looking down. And how often do we do that? We do that. It's part of the culture. It's almost, I, I just think they're possessed. Why do we do this? Why do we text? It's crazy. I've been in a restaurant and I've watched two young people sitting there with their phones, and they're texting each other, and they're that far apart. Spirit of slap comes on me. 
talk. For pity's sakes. What are we doing? We're filtering relationships. Showing others the me we want them to see rather than, than, than the me that we really are. We want to be in control. We want to be in control of the conversation. We want to be in control the way it goes. We live filtered lives. And the more filtered our lives become, the le less authentic our lives become. But pastor, I, I don't want to offend. I, don't want, I, I understand all of that. I, I truly do. But we can filter life so much that there's nothing left of truth. For some, they've lived their lives filled with social media and yet they're empty inside. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. We're longing for something more. A cry for biblical authenticity that creates a deep relationship. The early church understood each other. Paul and Barnabas knew each other. And they came to blows. Literally, it almost came to, to fists over the issue of, a, of, of Barnabas's nephew, John Mark. They knew each other. They were real. They were passionate. They weren't fake. They weren't phony. They weren't some kind of a, of a, of a, they, they were real. And I think the reason that many of us can, can look at the lives of a David and a Paul and a Peter, I love Peter because he was just raw and he was sometimes uncensored and he was sometimes just, he just stuck his foot in his mouth and he is an exact image of your pastor. He was real. I love that about him. And I love the fact that God didn't filter out the Bible. He didn't Photoshop the Bible. He didn't somehow create it differently. He didn't gloss it over. He left it warts, wrinkles, and all. So that we could identify with those people. And we could identify with the challenges that they faced. Our text this morning is out of 2 Corinthians and, and in this passage that we're going to read, it's, it's really taken its scene from Exodus 34 when Moses went up on the mount to get the Ten Commandments. And while he was there, he was in the presence of God, and literally the glow on him from the very presence of God was overwhelming, and he came down, and the Bible says, and for years it, it said that he put a veil over his face. I thought it was so that it would protect the people from it, but that's not what Paul reminds us of. He came down to put the veil over his face so the people couldn't see it fading away. So with that, we pick up here in 2 Corinthians 3. It says in verse 13, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face, listen to this, to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. What was he doing? He's putting on a filter. He's wanting you to see what he wanted you to see. He's wanting to present to you what he desired you to observe. He didn't want you to see that this glory was fading away. 
verse 14, but their minds were made dull to this day. The same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. When the old covenant was read in the synagogue, there were unbelieving Jews who could not see the truth of the word of God. And, and to too many today, and whether it's Jew or Gentile, when we present the claims of Jesus, there are many that cannot take and realize that what Jesus is and what he has said and the things that are said about him, many people don't want to believe that. They don't want to accept that. Why? Because there's a veil placed over them. They can't see the truth. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They couldn't comprehend what they were reading. Verse 16, we pick up, it says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, I love that, when anyone turns, say that with me, when anyone turns to the Lord, I love that, when anyone turns, turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil is taken away. You don't take it away. He takes it away when you turn to the Lord. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled face, faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. By nature, we're doing the same thing that Moses did. We, we want to project an image of something we want seen, not necessarily what is. By nature, we're very insecure. Hello? <laughs> Isn't it interesting that Adam and Eve clothed themselves, put a veil on, filtered the real because of their sin? What is a veil? And what veil are we wearing? You see, so often we want to post things that we want people to see about us. But, but this is the image. This is the image that we want other people to see. The problem is this is the real us. Kind of reminds me of a congressman. <laughs> I've watched some and know that most people portray another person than who they truly are. Amen. Illustrate this. You see a Bible, a cup of coffee, slippers on, in a recliner chair. The latest chick book off of the Christian uh, books, booksellers. And the image is, I'm a spiritual person. That's the image we want to portray. I'm spiritual. I read my Bible. I have my quiet moment before the Lord. We don't have the picture before, after, that he just blew up at his wife. 
or he got mad at his kids. We want to put the picture that I'm with it mom and I, I, I make all kinds of stuff that's nice and, and good and I put it in their lunchbox and I send them off to school and they're well-dressed and manicured. But we didn't make the stuff in the box. We bought it at Freddy's. And we were hurried to get them out the door on time. But we want the image that I've got it together. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And they continued steadfastly in fellowship. Deep relationships. Unfiltered relationships. Second Corinthians says, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. Here's the challenge. A veil that first covers the face eventually covers the heart. What starts as superficial, what starts as a superficial covering become a spiritual condition. It, it, it's, it's symptomatic of, of the world that we live in today. It prevents deep relationships. It, 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 it ceases the issue of intimate conversations. Sherry and I have been married 52 years, will be 52 years. And, and I'm, I'm thrilled with that, but here's the thing. We've been together long enough that we kind of almost can read each other's minds. That doesn't mean that we can't communicate and we don't talk. And by the way, it doesn't mean that we agree on everything. Because if we did, one of us isn't necessary. We have conversations, but we we we've been through we've been through losses and deaths and 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 victories and defeats. We've been through pain and hurt and suffering. We've been through ecstasy and delight and thrills and successes. But because we've been through the authentic, our relationship is deep, deep and rich. It's not superficial. And you know what? We can still be better. And we can still grow. And we don't know everything. Every once in a while, it's a profound moment when we find out about each other something we did not yet know. It's like a nugget. People find themselves not able to talk to God because they, 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 they don't want to be trans. I, I remember hearing about the chaplain of Bourbon Street many years ago. He came down the street, and here comes a drunk out of this saloon, and he's staggering, and he's holding on to a, 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 a light pole, and, and he comes over and he says, Brother, I want to pray for you. And he says, oh, preacher, I need it. And he starts praying, God, I want you to help this drunk. And the guy says, shh, shh, don't tell God I'm a drunk. <laughs> Transparency. 
we're watching people that don't know how to be themselves today. I fear that there are many that have portrayed, uh, that, that, that I've seen a portrayal of themselves that really isn't real. They want to portray something that they want us to see, but they really aren't. I had a come to Jesus moment many years ago. Work hard for the first several years of, 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 our, of our ministry. Pushed, worked, prayed, wanted God to move, wanted people to get saved. Doing everything we could to, to see that occur. I remember, I remember what a, and it was a joke to me. I was nominated to be in this thing called Outstanding Young Men of America. What a joke. Because when I went back and thought about it, I had a veil on. I had a portrayal of what I wanted others to see, that I was spiritual and that I was a man of God. I probably prayed more publicly than I did in private. I read the Bible more to prepare for sermons than to feed my own spirit. And in the midst of all of that, I, I, I remember hearing the voice of the Lord because there came a moment when I was tired of that. I felt empty, and I thought, this thing is futile. And I remember getting on my face before God. I remember that moment because it was... The Spirit of the Lord spoke something so fresh into my own heart. And what he spoke to me was, you've become a full-time pastor, but you're a part-time follower of Jesus. We can be a full-time teacher, preacher, mother, father, husband, wife. We can be full-time at that and yet be a part-time follower of Jesus. Put on the image. Put on the filters. Photoshop it. But in reality, something's missing. Why do I keep wearing the veil? I put that veil off, but why do many of us keep putting on a veil? Hashtag, you may not like me. That's why. I read an article that mentioned something called deferred loneliness. We post something and we get likes and because we get the likes, there's a dopamine hit that we, we feel good. Somebody likes that. And the more likes, the more good we feel. And what we're doing is we're deferring our loneliness from now to sometime down road. We're living for likes, longing for love. It, it, it's, it's, it's a reality of life. And they continued steadfastly in fellowship, deep relationships. Authentic, raw, real, unfiltered, uncensored, transparent relationships. And we fear them. We may be impressed 
with people and with our, we may impress people with our strengths, but we'll only relate to people through our weaknesses. To me, that's David. That's Peter. They're not some porcelain image. They're flesh and blood. They're real. They're raw. Uncensored, unfiltered. No political correctness. Just genuine human life. We don't see that today. We don't see it in our world today. We're afraid that something we say causes a trigger in somebody else. We're not here to hurt people. We're not here to create problems. But in that life, we have no authenticity. And there will not be true, genuine, biblical fellowship with it. Only Christ can remove the veil. Only Christ. I, I, love, I love this where, where uh, Paul reminds us that now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When I live for the appraisal of other people, I'm diminishing what God thinks about me. If I'm living for your applause and for what you think about me, I'm diminishing about what God thinks about me. What does God think about us? He calls us sons and daughters. He calls us heirs and joint heirs. He calls us the redeemed. He calls us righteous. He tells us what we can do. Nothing is impossible to them that believe. He tells us that, that we can ask anything according to our faith, our faith, our faith, and God will answer. He tells us that we are the, we, we are the product of the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He tells us who we are, saints of God, children of God, children of resurrection, with authority, with power, with might. That's who he tells us who we are. He doesn't tell us that we're, you know, I love amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? I don't like that word. That's not the words that Jesus uses. That's not the word that God uses. He doesn't call me a wretch. He doesn't call me a worm. He, didn't, he calls me a son of righteousness, a child of the living God. Oh, Jesus, help us. I pray there be freedom in our life and that we see and give the impression of who we really are. Am I perfect? Just ask her. No. But I want to be real. I want to be transparent. Get rid of this watch. <laughs> I, want to, I want to be a genuine child of the living God. Amen? Amen. So the zit is still there, and it has not been photoshopped. Is that all right? Yes. Father, in the name of Jesus... May we find that authenticity. May we find that real issue of who we are. 
Lord, help us not to be obsessed about what other people think. Help us to give control of our life to you, of the things that we say, the things that we think, the things that we do. May we relinquish that to you. May we turn to you. And from your love, may we find our identity in Jesus' name. As your heads are bowed, eyes closed this morning. Before God, how many of you would say, Pastor, I want to be real. I want to be real. I want to live a real life. I don't want to be phony. I don't want to be photoshopped. I just want people to love me for who I am. How many of you would say, that's what I desire this morning? Can I see your hands all over this room? Yes. Can we make a commitment to Jesus to the best of our ability to just simply live authentically? Not, not vulgar, not unseemly, but just real. Amen? Just genuine, genuine, genuine. Father, I, I thank you for every man, woman, child in this building today and all of these services. But Father, you would, by your grace, touch each one of us. We're all growing. We don't have it all together yet. There's so much yet we can learn. We're trying, Father. We're here this morning, not because we have to be, but because we've desired to be in your house something in us that wants to grow and to improve. For that, I'm so thankful. I thank you, Lord, that I get the privilege of doing life with these wonderful men and women, and that we can grow together and grow up in you together, and we can turn our lives to you, and you will, in turn, speak truth to us. Lord, help us not to be full-time phonies and part-time followers. Help us to be full-time authentic and full-time followers of Jesus. Help us, Father, for we ask it in your precious name. Amen. I'm going to ask those that are ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Listen to this word, but nourishes and cherishes it. The word nourish there means giving that that grants sustenance. And if her need is intimate conversation, you're giving her sustenance for life. You're meeting a need. You're bringing the connecting points together. It, it just overwhelms me to think about it. They, they have this need to, 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 for communication that, that's more than surface. They want to know the depth. Men tend to be bottom line. You all understand that? That's the way I am. I, I'm not a detail per I am detailed. I've got to have detail. I hire it. <laughs> Seriously. I married it. 
I'm a visionary leader. I'm not, I need the detail. I, I know that I want to get from point A to point B, and, and, and I've got all of the vision and the dream, and I know the big picture, and I know the scheme. But my sweet wife knows step one, step two, step three, step four. Amen? I have people compliment me on the things that I wear. I'd never pick them out. She's got better taste. Seriously. I'd rather have her pick out my clothes as me expose my ignorance, folks. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> detail. She knows the detail. She's got it all figured out. I love that. He needs recreational companionship. You know, when you two got married, it's interesting. Before you got married, when you were dating, when you were, when you were meeting that person, maybe it was, you know, back when another century. How many of you remember you had a phone attached to the wall with a cord that could go for four or five miles? I mean, it was, it was the closest thing to being cordless in the world. You just could go anywhere in a house with that cord. And you'd be on a date, and you'd be out there for four hours, five hours, a whole day, and you come home, and you call each other. You remember? And what did you talk about? You just did. I mean, it was stuff. You, you remember? And then it went something like this. Goodbye. And you waited to see who was going to hang up first. You remember. Guys, you could talk then. Why can't you talk now? And not only that, you wanted to be together and do all kinds of fun things together. He says, why don't you go fishing with me? And she says, oh, I'd love to. And he's thinking in his mind, I've won the jackpot. (laughs) And she hates fishing. (laughs) But she wants to be with you. And then you get married. I call it bait and switch. Y'all understand what I'm trying to say? We, we did all of these things. Why? Because there was a need. Men need recreation. Women need this, this intimate conversation. They need to know. They need the details. We need rest. We need to play. And every guy here could say amen. amen. The price of the toys for men and boys is a little different, but we still have our toys. Viva la difference. Thank God for the toys. Amen. And we, we, we have this need to go. I, I remember my wife and I, we, she was raised in a house full of women. Her dad, bless his heart, was outnumbered. Seriously. Seriously. Four girls and a wife. Oh, Jesus. I came along, and all of a sudden, he didn't know what had hit the household. He said, Dad, let's go fishing. He'd never been fishing in his life. 
I took him fishing. <laughs> they lived out in, in what the name of that little place? Anyway, they, they, they lived right on the Deschutes River, and uh, we, we got out there. We, I'm fishing away and turn around. Five minutes after I've been there, I turn around, and he's got his fishing pole in his hand and tackle box. And yeah, I said, what are you doing? He says, they're not biting. <laughs> He'd been hanging around too many girls. Guys need recreation. Listen to this. It's Mark chapter 6. I like the way the Message Bible says it. The apostles then rendezvoused with Jesus and reported on all they had done and taught. And Jesus said, come off by yourselves. Let's take a break get a little rest. I think if they'd have had Frisbees, they'd have been playing Frisbee golf. I'm sure of it. They, I don't know what they were doing, but they were resting. They weren't working. They weren't doing the miraculous. They were just having fun and rest together. Why? Because men need to play. Just like a woman needs conversation, men need to play. I don't care whether it's, it's chess or whether it's hunting or fishing or football or basketball or bowling or whatever that is. Men need that recreation. But here's the kicker. They really like having their significant other with them. I live over by John and Peggy Balcom, and I, every so often I see them walking, like rain or shine walking, warm or cold walking, and they're talking. He's recreating. She's getting conversation. It's the marriage of the two. It can happen. We need to understand that. So, guys, she needs conversation. He needs recreation. Third, she needs openness and honesty and he needs an attractive wife. <laughs> Just stand, stand by. Ephesians 4.25, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. I'm going to change that to wife because I think that's extremely appropriate and I don't think it does any distance to the, to the scriptures. Speak honestly. A wife needs to know that her husband's telling the truth. Dishonesty damages relationship because she has to have the security of knowing truth. And guys, I'm going to tell you something that Jesus said, the truth will set you free. <laughs> Women need their men to be honest with them. And on the other side of that, we, these things go both ways, don't they? Yeah. Honesty gives her a sense of security. It, it's, it's vital to the relationship to feel secure. A wife must trust her husband to give her accurate information about the past, the present, and the future. I like surprises on my birthday, anniversary, and Christmas. Well, I don't like surprises any other time. And you know what? My wife's the same way. But if, I, if I'm straightforward with her and we're honest, it works. 
it works. She needs transparency, secrets, and hidden agendas, undermined relationship. What are the things that, that happens? And one of the tools of the enemy is to, and, and we men, we are fixers. We, we want to take care of things. We want to take charge of things. And situations go south, and, and we don't want to tell our wife because we don't want to hurt her. We don't want her upset. We don't want to, to, to somehow create anxiety with her. And so we think, well, we'll just, we'll just take care of it. She needs to know because it's a surprise. She needs to know. They're stronger than you think. They're more malleable than you think. They're more tenacious than you think. And they got a memory that won't quit. <laughs> and every man said, Amen. Amen. And he needs an attractive wife. She needs honesty and openness. He needs an attractive wife. Pastor, I'm not talking about a runway model. We're not talking about that. What did you do to win him? Let me tell you a story about an aunt and an uncle. A great aunt and an uncle. My uncle Hudson and my aunt Pearl. Hudson lived in Bend. And Pearl lived somewhere outside of Tallahassee in Florida. And this is back in the dark ages before internet. I think it was a mail order bride thing. Honestly, do. I never figured it out. I was fairly young at the time. My Uncle Hudson couldn't read or write. So he'd come to my mom and he'd say, Ann, would you write this letter to Pearl? And so mom would write. He would tell her what to write. She would write it, mail it. A few weeks later, he'd get a letter back, and he'd bring it over to Mom, and he'd say, Ann, would you read this letter to me? Mom would read the letter. I remember sitting there watching all of this stuff. Well, this went on for quite some time. Pretty soon, I remember him saying, you know, Ann, I'm going to ask her to marry me. So he wrote that in a letter, and she accepted back, and so he sent her a bus ticket on Trailways, or Greyhound, one of them, and brought her from just outside of Tallahassee to Bend, Oregon. It was the coolest match you've ever seen. It was, close, it was as close to being a match in heaven as I've ever seen, only it was a hellacious marriage. She had a mouth on her like a truck driver. <laughs> I've never heard some of those words. And she was thrilled to death to show you those words. She was a kick. They had a wonderful marriage. Truly, they did. But my Uncle Hudson died. <laughs> my Aunt Pearl didn't have any teeth, and she had, had false teeth. She never wore them. <laughs> but I went over to the house one day, and I, she had her teeth in. And I said, Pearl, you look so pretty. I said, she says, yep, I'm hunting me a man. <laughs> We're talking bait and switch here. 
he needs his wife to take pride in herself. We're not talking about vanity. We're not talking about weird things. That she will take pride in herself because he's proud of her. He wants to be proud of her. Does that make sense? So he needs an attractive wife. Attractive to what attracted him to her. And by the way, this goes two ways. Guys, it wouldn't hurt you to take a bath more than once a week. I'm just saying. Got, ladies, would you agree? Step it up, guys. Come on. Okay. <laughs> she needs financial security. He needs peace and quiet. First Timothy says this in chapter 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do women marry men for money? Absolutely. We're not talking about being a gold digger. We're talking about the understanding that a woman marries a man with the understanding that he's going to provide for her. That's a need. We're talking needs here. She needs affection. He needs sexual fulfillment. She needs intimate conversation. He needs recreational companionship. She needs open honesty. He needs an attractive wife. They're needs. You understand that. They're needs. They're not, they're not whimsical. She needs him to provide. Now, I realize that we live in a world today where there's liberation, where many times both husband and wife are working. I, I recognize that. I understand that. But if you ask the heart of every woman, of many women, if you had the choice, most would say, I'd rather be a mother. I'm not saying that all, and I'm not saying that's demeaning to anybody on either side of the spectrum. But they have that anticipation. It's a need. But it's more than just earning a living. It's being a good steward with what they have. It's not being stingy, but not being a spendthrift. It's being a steward. That brings security. Earning it, being wise with it. That's security. He needs peace and quiet. Proverbs gives us kind of the illustration of this in, in this way. I, I don't know how you were raised. I was raised in a home where you could eat off the floor. I've heard that statement. I wouldn't want to do it. But, but mom kept an impeccable home. She just did. This is the way it was. And my dad, the fuss budget, he was a perfectionist beyond. I, it was obsessive compulsive. It was, he needed medication. <laughs> mom would clean the house and he 
come right behind her. It used to make them so mad. I used to just hear, Ralph, would you just quit? I just hear, I could hear those words. I like a clean house. And then we had kids. How many of you know what I'm saying? Kids are, they're faster than the speed of light. You could pick things up and turn your back, and the house has been like a hurricane hit it in five seconds. Little rug rats. Confine them somewhere. Put them in a cage. You come home from work, and you've had a hectic day, and, and maybe both of you work, and I understand it goes both ways, but I come home, and I've had a very exhausting day. The last thing I want to do is, when I walk in the house, have a list of things handed to me. Time out. Give me 20 minutes just to refresh my brain. How many of you guys understand what I'm saying? It isn't that I don't want to do the list. I just need time to get my breath. Now, here's the other side of it. You've got two curtain climbers that have been all over you all day long, and you come home, and you need rest, and all of a sudden, you see that truck pull up, and you're thinking, hallelujah, they can cling to him for a while. You both need it, but give each other that time. A house that's in disarray does not bode for quietness and peace. But we both work. Well, I call it equal distribution of labor. We made an agreement many years ago. When we first got married, I did the vacuuming and I take out the garbage. That's my job. It does not demasculate me to do it because I have an obsession with that vacuum cleaner. It's down and back and it down and back and it down and back. It's straight lines in the car. It's down and back. It, and I can always tell when somebody's messed with my vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Y'all understand what I'm saying? So whether it's doing the dishes, and it doesn't hurt us to do that. Whether it's mopping a floor, it doesn't hurt us to do that. And even to clean up after yourself in the bathroom, for pity's sakes. I thought about getting a sign and putting it up above the toilet. We aim to please. You aim to please. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We're talking real life here. All right? And if you miss, clean it up. You didn't expect that today, did you? I told you this is going to be very practical. Okay. <laughs> what I'm trying to say, friends, is this. We have real needs. They're real needs. We can have fun with this a little bit, but they're real needs. 
And here's the concern that I have. One of the biggest things that tears my heart out is when I watch two people in relationship become selfish in relationship and not meet the need of the other person. And then somehow that message, that method, that marriage is messed up. Trying to fix it is very difficult. We have real needs. Women have very real needs. Men have very real needs. And in this relationship, it's up to us to put our needs aside and meet the need of our mate. Even though we have them, we can meet their need. What you sow, you reap. And when you sow into meeting the need, that need will be reciprocated. I shared it last week, and it's something I believe strongly in. My wife has very little difficulty following my lead when I take care of her need. What I'm trying to share this morning is simple. I want you to get these books. I, I, I spent almost two months going through just his needs, her needs on a Wednesday night. I've given you not even the Reader's Digest condensed version. I've just hit the high points of these. But they're so valuable. And when you take the time do you realize that relationships are more than just emotional moments? They're more than just the passion. A relationship is taking time to know that person and understand what makes them tick and figure out how I can meet the need of that person. It's giving up. It's what I said. God created marriage to kill you. That you die to yourself. And that you figure out the need of that person. Oh, friends, when you begin this journey and you begin to work on this, putting selfishness aside, putting your own stubbornness aside, putting your own backgrounds aside, putting the way we've always done aside, put it aside and put that person first. What's important to them? I remember Sherry and I got married and there was an old couple in the church well, you, <laughs> trying to remember their names now, Blankenships. Do you remember Dean? Yes. They were in the same church we were in. And I, I said, Dean, how, how is it you and your bride have been married so long? I ah, says, easy. We've just tried to outspoil each other. Take, take this message to heart. Take this message to your kids, to your grandkids. Take it to that significant person in your life. Meet their needs. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that you've given us today. and Thank you for those that are here. 
pray, Father, that you will help us to recognize all of these things as we walk through them together. We'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't get the last two times away from us. She needs a good husband and a good father. Be a good example. And he needs her to be proud of him. You can fill in the blanks. He doesn't need your criticism. He just needs affirmation. Thank you once in a while. We just need those things. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? (laughs) Well, this is one of those mornings that could be oh me or amen. But I believe that God has something and somewhere, some way, in something that was said, it will impact you some way. After the first service, I had three people come up to me. Tears in their eyes. Thank you for the reminder, Pastor. When I began this series, I fought this thing. Not because of the material. I fought it because I didn't want it to just simply be a marriage series. Because I have a lot of people that are single. A lot of people that are widowed. But I had two widows come up to me this morning and said, Oh, Pastor, keep preaching that message. Because our families need this message. But the enemy has fought me on it. Even this morning, just some stuff that's happened before service. And even as we began service. And that's okay. We pray for this friend that he just he just needs help. But the enemy would try to detract us from the truth. Love your wife. Love your husband. Love your kids. Love your grandkids. Love your parents. Hug them. Hold them a little tighter. Life is too quick. It goes too fast. Take time. To hug. and To kiss. Have fun. To enjoy life. Father, thank you for each one here. I pray a special bond of blessing over them. I pray for the homes. I pray for those that are single. I pray for those that are widowed. I pray for families that are here, for children. Lord, I I rebuke the power of the enemy that would try to hurt and hinder them. Lord, I pray that you would just, oh God, that you would just so insulate them to you and to themselves, to one another. Close that circle. Keep them safe and protect them. Lord, I pray that you will ignite the fire of passion within the lives of husbands and wives that there would ever, never be a straying away from that relationship. I pray for your blessing over them in Jesus' name. Would you lift your hands for the blessing? And now, Father, in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, I speak your blessing over your children. 
that you, Father, will bless them and you will keep them. You will make your face, your very presence, your authority and your power manifested to them. That you'll guide them and direct them. That you'll comfort them and strengthen them. That you'll nurture them and provide for them. And that you'll let your grace overwhelm them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.